Hi everybody and welcome to episode 6 of episodes. Today's episode is from Sylvie's perspective and is titled Something Old, Something New. So in her last episode, which was episode 2, Sylvie goes to Nurse Patina to confirm her pregnancy. Later that day in episodes 2 and 5, she talks with Sylvie at Starbucks about her, Jamie's, situation with Charles and Sylvie tells Jamie that she is indeed pregnant. When Sylvie leaves Jamie, she heads off to see Trey, her married boyfriend, to tell him the good news. So that's where her storyline leaves off. And here we go. Episode 6, Sylvie. Something old, something new. I see Trey's green old school Volvo, the one he uses during his time off alongside two unmarked sedans with tinted windows when I pull up to Ginger, the restaurant slash bar slash hottest spot in Atlanta where I work, and I squeal. It's only 4 p.m., but it's been a long day. Between my tear and confession-filled doctor's appointment with Nurse Patina and Jamie's drama at Starbucks, I'm drained. But my heart flips a beat at the thought of seeing Trey. It's been too long since I've seen him, three whole days, and he doesn't have much time today, he's already let me know, although he will be staying with me later tonight. When I walk in, the main floor, usually bustling with Atlanta's political, athletic, and celebrity luminaries, is airily empty. The restaurant doesn't open until five. What are you doing here? Cody, the other hostess, asks, striding up to the front with menus. You aren't working tonight, are you? Cody and I are tight. We've known each other since our stripper days back in L.A., Once she got herself clean, I helped her get on here. She's wearing an electric blue spandex dress, and her blonde hair is carefully tousled down her back. Standard dress for our jobs. Just hanging out for a second, I say. Mm Mm-hmm. She smiles knowingly. You know, I saw a certain someone back there. She tilts her head to the very back section. I crane my neck and see two men sitting, nursing waters nearby. Trey security. We're used to seeing those types as our line of work requires interaction with high-profile men. That is a beautiful fish you landed, says Cody. Just gorgeous. And Cody doesn't just mean money and status-wise either. I know, I say, and I'm about to head to see my man when I hear Cody's voice cold now behind me. We aren't open, and only paying customers can use the bathroom. You need to go. Ginger, being situated near downtown Atlanta, attracts some homeless people looking for a bathroom or some water. But then, a soft voice calls my name. I turn and double-take when I see Sabrina, and I blink. What's with her voice? And how did she lose 30-some-odd pounds? I just saw her a couple of days ago at our New Year's brunch, and she's wearing some baggy jeans that look like they're from the 90s in a bad, bad way. And she's scrawny, practically swimming in her faded t-shirt and... Connie, I breathe, putting a hand over my heart. Oh my God, I can't help saying. Hey girl, says Connie. Excuse me, says Cody to her. You have to leave. It's okay, Cody. I say, taking a couple of steps towards Connie. Shit, she's here, which means I guess she's out of jail. Does Sabrina know she's here? Okay, that's it. I'm calling the police, 
says Cody, picking up a cell phone. Cody, stop, I say. Sylvie, you know what Rodney said. No homeless people allowed, no exceptions. Bitch, ain't nobody up in here homeless. I got a place to stay. Connie snaps, tossing her head. And don't think I won't fling your little white ass all across this motherfucking room either. And I see a flash of the old Connie, all flashing eyes and too much attitude and brilliant and extra as fuck. That hair trigger temper of hers got us into so many almost fights back in various clubs back in college. But that was all pre-C. Pre-Cecil. Pre-Crack. I know her, Cody, I say as I take Connie's wisp of an arm. Jesus, she's gotten so little. Cody frowns. You know her? I frown at her too as I lead Connie to a nearby booth. Yes, Cody, I do, I say. Can you bring us some waters? She's still frowning, but she nods and heads off. Um, why don't you sit here and I will be right back, I tell Connie. She nods, her large eyes made larger against her shrunken cheeks. I go to the back and ask Steve, the head chef, to make me a burger real quick. You ring that shit up under your employee number. Rodney, our manager, says without looking up from the piece of paper he's marking, just out of my peripheral vision. Shit, I hadn't seen him standing there. Yeah, that's right, you ain't seen me standing here, huh? He says. I saw you, I say. Whatever, he says. He glances up, pulling the pencil that's always behind his ear down and pointing it at me. Ain't no free lunches in this life, Sylvie Jones. I've worked here for four years and I can't get one burger, I grumble. But I walk to one of the computer docks that are in the kitchen, type in my number, and order the burger. Nope, says Rodney with zero hesitation. And you ain't working tonight anyway, so what you doing here? Make it extra big for me, I say to Juan, the chef, ignoring Rodney's question and texting Trey that I'll be over to him in a few minutes. That's what she said, make it extra big for me. Rodney shouts, roaring with laughter at his own joke, and I roll my eyes and go back out to the floor. So, I say, as I slide into the seat across from Connie moments later. Wow, I say, because what else am I going to say? How was jail? Are you still using? I actually did it once with them when I was living in L.A. Somehow, Connie and Cecil were out there for a minute, too, and at Connie's encouragement, I had tried it. I'd played around a little with Coke here and there with the other strippers here and there at work. It ain't that much different. It ain't gonna kill you, girl. It ain't like people say, Connie had said, and she'd laughed and laughed and danced and danced, and finally I'd relented, and soon I was laughing and laughing and dancing and dancing too. You look great, Sylvie, says Connie now. Oh, thank you, sweetie, I say. But that night that I had tried the stuff with them, I got super sick, retching like I never had before, so badly that I called 911 and went to the emergency room in an ambulance. That was enough of a sign for my ass. And the next night, I met Tony Smith, one of the older Lakers players at the strip club where I was working. Even more of a sign. And the night after that, he flew me to the Bahamas for an impromptu trip. And a couple of nights later, I was pregnant. And I swore off any and all drugs. I mean, it's like no time has passed with you. Like, at all. Connie goes on. I nod. And the missing return compliment 
that Connie looks great to, hangs unspoken in the silence. It's heartbreaking to look at her. Her hair hangs in a long, limp ponytail and looks tired. Her complexion is mottled, and her cheekbones jut out so sharply now, the flesh seemingly stretching over and then sagging, almost pooling beneath them. And it's like she's given up how she used to speak, too. She was uber articulate. I mean, Connie was hood, always more so than Sabrina. But she could turn them white folks out in our poli-sci class during a debate about race like nobody else. She planned on being a lawyer. Wow. I'd forgotten about that. Now, she sounds like Cecil. Words all short. Language all bitten off. I can smoke in here? Connie asks now pulling out his pack of cigarettes. Is she missing teeth? Oh my God. One in the top row, second from center, and one at the bottom, three away from the center. Oh no, I'm sorry, sweetie. You can't smoke in here, I say. Shit. I hadn't meant to stare, but Connie noticed my look. Now she self-consciously brushes a hand over her mouth and closes it. It's all good, she says a moment later but clearly she's trying not to open her mouth so much now. I'm trying to quit anyway, girl. Oh, okay, I say. Tony and I broke up a couple of months after the Bahamas trip, and I moved back to Atlanta where Camille was to have the baby. Only I lost that baby. Yeah. So I found you on Instagram, says Connie. This is supposed to be the hottest spot in Atlanta here. This is Ginger, huh? Yeah, I say. My phone buzzes. Trey, can't wait to see you, babe. He's texted me back. I'm back here when you're ready. I put down the phone, smile at Connie. Another silence hangs, but then Cody brings out the burger. I gesture to Connie, and Cody sets the plate down in front of her and leaves with one more. You okay? Raise of her eyebrows. I nod slightly. Connie's eyes are glued to the plate. Go ahead and eat, I urge. You sure? Connie asks. Absolutely, I say, and Connie grabs a burger with spindly fingers, wolfing down large bites like a starving dog. And I blink back tears. Um, did you want another one to go, maybe? For later, I ask. Connie looks up as she devours her last bite. Well, actually, since you said that, she says as she swallows, can I get one to go for Cecil? I look away to mask my disappointment and disbelief, but I can't. You're still with Cecil? I say. Connie hesitates and looks down, nodding. I mean, yeah, he was waiting on me when I got out. When did you get out? I ask. A year ago, she says. And then abruptly she asks, so how's Jamie? She's good. I say, and we're both relieved to change the subject. Still teaching? <laughs> I can believe that. Connie chuckles. She's still with Tim? She's still with Tim, I confirm. Oh, that is so good, says Connie. They're going to be together forever, huh? I hesitate for a moment, thinking of my conversation with Jamie in Starbucks earlier. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, I mumble. And how's Camille? Connie asks, and then she chuckles. Even though I know that bitch still hates me, she adds. No, she doesn't, I say. 
But Connie and I glance at each other and bust up laughing because we both know that Camille does indeed still hate her. Your cousin can hold a grudge like nobody's business, Connie says, shaking her head. And for a moment, it's like old times. She's lucky I didn't whip her motherfucking ass in that dorm room that time, cursing me out like I'm her goddamn slave. That would have been quite a fight, I say. And it's the truth, because while Camille was bigger and stronger, Connie had a killer instinct. And she had that way before she ever met Cecil. I'd seen her go toe-to-toe with another girl, and guy for that matter, and it had taken multiple people to pull her off both times. Connie was no fucking joke. Bitch, fuck you and that nigga, Connie says now in a spot-on imitation of Camille, neck roll, finger pointing and all. I hope both of y'all die in a fire somewhere tomorrow. Remember she said that shit? Connie recalls. And I was about to slap her dead in her motherfucking mouth, but then I was like, a fucking fire tomorrow? Bitch, why are you so specific? And why Cecil and me gotta die in a motherfucking fire? And then we both lose it, guffaw laughing at the memory. Oh, Connie, I say, reaching for a napkin to dab my eyes. I miss you, girl. I miss you too, she says. I even miss Camille. How we used to go out together and shut shit all the way the motherfucking fuck down. She grins, apparently unselfconscious now about her teeth. Remember how you and me used to party all night and then study all morning? I nod, smiling. I was smart, but Connie was super smart. All A's on everything. Papers, tests, labs, didn't matter. I miss everybody, Connie whispers, and everything. And I guess I've missed everything. She's the one who turns away this time. No, you haven't, I say after a moment. But we both know she's right. She has missed everything. Connie looks back at me. You seen Sarah? She asks, her voice small now. Sarah, I repeat. I I mean, Sabrina, says Connie. You seen her? I forgot Connie's always called Sabrina, Sarah. I sigh, bite my lower lip. If she ever comes around, Sabrina had warned us all, but looking extra hard at me all those years ago, the last time Connie had come around, you better send her black ass away. What was that, five, six years ago? Only Jamie and Sabrina had seen Connie that time, and that was the time Sabrina had finally made good on her promise and stabbed Cecil. It hadn't been a fatal wound. But Cecil and Connie had gotten the point and gotten the hell on. And then they both went to jail for drug possession and holding up a gas station. I clear my throat now. I I, I haven't seen Sabrina recently, I say. Not really, Connie. I, I mean, bitch, you ain't never been no good liar. Connie interrupts. You was a good actress and you was a good stripper, but you ain't no liar. Well, what do you want me to say, Connie? I say. She doesn't want to see you. I know that, Connie says, sounding almost snappish, except for how sad she looks. Believe me, I know that. But I got something real important I gotta talk with her about. I shift in my seat and my phone buzzes again. It's Trey. I have to leave in 30 minutes, babe. He's texted. I I have to get ready to go in a minute, I say, turning around to the area where Trey's sitting. I can just make out his head in the low lighting. I have a meeting and I'm already late for it. Sylvie, 
Just give me something. Please. I'm clean now. Connie gestures to her empty plate. You see I got my appetite back? You see I done put on some weight? I ain't asking for no money this time. I ain't asking for nothing. I'm clean. Cecil's getting clean. We ain't trying to go to jail no more. Just please, Sylvie. I need my sister. Please. Please, Sylvie. In her eyes, they're so big. And I know I'm going to regret it. But if, if Connie were my sister and if she'd been clean for a few months now, wouldn't I want to hear from her? I inhale, exhale, and then I say, she works at Schmuller in Denver. It's a law firm here in Atlanta. Oh, okay, okay, Connie says, nodding vigorously, pulling a pen and crumply sheet of paper out of her voluminous jeans. Okay, 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 she murmurs as she writes, hunching over the sheet of paper and rubbing the skin just above her left eyebrow. And I'm reminded that that was exactly how she used to study, murmuring, okay, 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 to herself, hunching over her desk and rubbing the skin just above her left eyebrow. I heave another sigh and send up a prayer that Sabrina won't kill me. Connie carefully folds the sheet of paper and places it back in her pocket and stands. And I stand too. And she walks a short distance to my side of the booth to hug me. And it's like hugging a bag of bones. And I pull my lips together to keep them from trembling. Man, look, man. Thank you, Sylvie, she says, pulling back. I nod. Don't tell her I'm the one who told you, okay? I say. Connie nods vigorously again. Oh, I won't. Okay, I say. Well, um, take care of yourself, okay, Connie? Oh, I will, she says. And I turn away, but she calls me. Um, you still gonna give me that burger to take to Cecil? Five minutes later, I put in another order for two more burgers because Connie will need another one later, I'm sure, if she doesn't give that one to Cecil too. I've reapplied my NARS lip gloss. I've tousled my weave, big and curly today, like Trey likes it. And finally, finally, it's time to see my man and deliver to him our good news. Slowly, slowly, I head his way. And you best believe that I know how to walk in such a way that a man looks up once, twice, and then can't stop looking. It's simple, really. One foot directly in front of the other, and slowly, as if you're moving through high water and sitting into the leg that's striking the ground as your back foot comes up so that your hip juts out and creates that all-important waist-to-hip ratio to which men are biologically wired to respond. Models do it a little faster than strippers and swear they're classier about it. But it's all the same shit. Just a matter of degree. That and eye contact. Men love eye contact. Cody put me onto that back when we danced. My nickname for her then was Money Bitch because she was of course pretty, but she wasn't the absolute prettiest. And she had a nice body, but it wasn't the absolute best. But when it came to chatting men up, and I fucking them? She was a master. I, I fuck the shit out of Trey now, and I know he's getting hard as I come closer, closer, closer to him. I pause for a moment when I reach his booth, sliding one hand up my hip as I stick out the other just for him. Mr. Senator, I say softly, 
He shakes his head slowly and smiles, and all I can think is that I hope our child has that smile. I slide into the booth. Did you want something to drink? Trey says, already signaling the bartender who was cleaning some glasses. No, no, I'm fine, I say quickly. I'll just have a sip of your water. Everything okay with you? He asks. Yeah, yeah, just visiting with an old friend who stopped by unexpectedly, and then another friend of mine is going through something, so I had to stop and talk with her at Starbucks, and you know what? I shake my head, shaking off both Jamie and Connie. Everything is great with me now that I am here with you. I start to cover one of his hands with mine, and then I remember our rule, his rule, about not touching in public. You know I can't be out here long, Trey says. He leans forward, interlacing his slim fingers. And I'm not drinking because I have a meeting later, but I wanted to give you something in person, and I didn't want to be tempted by those long legs in a hotel room. Babe, I exclaim, all thoughts of Jamie and Connie melted away. You don't have to get me anything. It's this way that he looks at me that melts me. This look that says, where have you been all my life? I like getting you things, Sylvie, he says now. You deserve it. I just want you, I say, and I mean it. I know that, says Trey, and he has this way of looking at each person he's talking to as if that person is the most important person in the whole world, but he actually means it. It's what makes him such a great public servant. We met during his re-election celebration party that was thrown here last year. He ended up talking to me for an hour after the party, and all he did was ask questions about me, my childhood, my struggles, my dreams. The next day, I got a call. Sylvie Jones? A no-nonsense voice had asked. I'd almost not answered. The phone number was marked private, but as far as I knew, no bill collectors were looking for me. Yes, I'd replied. Please hold for Senator Winsome. And before I could say anything else, Trey was saying my name. We talked for two hours, saw each other later that evening, and that was that. I want to give you something too now, I say to him. Me first, Trey says, grinning and loosening his tie. It was that act, the loosening of his tie, during a particularly heated debate with Kip Whitman, the long-standing Republican senator of Georgia, that tipped his first election in his favor. It was Bill Clinton's I feel your pain moment, the everyday common man act that won Trey the male voters he needed. At 38, he had women, black, white, and Latino, on lock. Women of all ethnicities and ages swooned everywhere he went. People are excited about Trey Winsome. He's smart, dashing, kind, real, sincere. The media use names like JFK and Obama to describe him and his potential. And he wants me, me, to be the one to suck his dick. But the thing is, that's not all he wants from me. You're special, Sylvie Jones, he'd murmured the first night we were together. Yeah, 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 I'd said. He certainly wasn't the first famous man I'd slept with, nor was he the first politician. I knew how these things went. Gifts, late night calls, a vacation or two and then a lovely parting jewelry present of some sort, and then a soft fade to black. No, he'd said. 
He turned to me, tilted my chin so I had to look into his eyes. You're special. Beyond all this, he had gestured to my body beneath his. Although this is pretty spectacular, he had said, and I had giggled. I've never felt this way about anybody, Sylvie, he had said softly. Mm-hmm, I'd said, rolling my eyes. Seriously, he had propped an elbow up so that the side of his face was in one hand and stared at me. You have more to give to the world than just a beautiful face and body, Sylvie. You really do. Trey pushes an envelope across the table now. This better not be a payoff check, I say, only half joking. Open it, he says. I glance at him, then pick up the envelope and unseal it. Inside is a single sheet of paper. When I see the logo at the top, I gasp. Read it, Trey orders, his brown eyes sparkling. Dear Miss Jones, I read, we are delighted to accept you into the Worldwide Vision Life Coaching Program. I look at him, my mouth open. How did you, when did you? Congratulations, baby, Trey says, lifting his glass of water and a toast. I am looking at Sylvie Jones, life coach extraordinaire. I'm speechless for a moment, (laughs) and then I'm laughing. I can't. I I just can't believe, Trey, Trey, this program is expensive. I told you I was saving up for it, I say. I'd saved about $4,500 of the $15,000 tuition over the past eight months. And now, you don't have to, he says firmly. When I first told him about wanting to be a life coach, I couldn't even say it loudly. I'd had to whisper it. That was how fragile this dream was. Trey was the first person to whom I had told everything, and I mean the real everything. My mother dying, having to go live with Camille and my Aunt Shanae, the first abortion nobody but Connie knew about, getting a full ride to college and then getting kicked out, the stripping, the brief flirtation with Coke, the briefer one-nighter with the crack, the second abortion, both miscarriages, third abortion, I even told him about Layla. That's what I had named her. My child who had died when I was 16. And my uncle, or my play uncle, I should say. I told Trey about what my uncle had done. And unlike Camille's mother, and maybe even Camille, Trey believed me. He held me, and he believed me. And I told him how I wanted to help others, as crazy as that sounded. Why is that so crazy? He'd asked, stroking my hair. People will relate to you because you've been there. But I don't have any degrees, I protested. Degrees don't make you smart, Trey had said. They can enhance you, but they don't make you. They certainly can't give you the life experience you need for wisdom. Um, you have three degrees, Mr. Degrees Don't Make You, I'd retorted. From places like Yale and Princeton. Trey had been quiet in the darkness. I was blessed to be handed a lot of things in my life, Sylvie, he'd said finally. I honestly don't know if I could have survived what you did. You managed to create something amazing out of nothing. Um, I'm a restaurant hostess, I'd said. (laughs) I'm a nobody. You're definitely not nobody. Trey had squeezed my shoulder. On the surface, right the second, yes, you are a restaurant hostess. What I see 
is somebody who has a heart, mind, brain, and experiences that are perfect for serving others. You just have to see it too. No more procrastinating, Sylvie Jones. Trey says now, pointing at me. Time for you to live up to your potential, young lady. I want to hug you so much right now. I say, nobody has ever. My voice catches. And Trey smiles. So was my present, he says a moment later. Besides, showering with you tomorrow night. I thought we were meeting later tonight, I say. But Trey shakes his head. Mara has an early morning breakfast thing. She needs me there. So, miss it. Trey's lips twist affectionately at my bratty tone. Tomorrow, he says. I promise. Now, where's my gift? I take a deep breath, and then another. Ooh, a deep breath kind of gift, he observes. Those are the best. I'm pregnant, I say. Trey's smile freezes. And it's yours, or it's ours. Trey's smile, his face, his body, his everything remains frozen. Ta-da! I say it quietly in the quiet of the restaurant. Very, very slowly, Trey brings his hands to his face. So his index fingers touch the inside corner of his eyes. Very, very slowly, his hands slide down his cheekbones, his mouth, his chin, back onto the table, into his lap. He looks somewhere over my shoulder, off into the distance somewhere. Uh, Earth to Trey, I call. He blinks a couple of times, refocusing his gaze on me. He looks at me as if I'm an acquaintance, waking him out of a deep sleep. He looks confused, unsure why I am there. You're pregnant. His voice is so low he's practically mouthing the words. Are you upset? I ask. Am I? Trey shakes his head quickly a couple of times as if shaking water out of his hair. Am I upset? No. No, 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 no. Of course not. He reaches across the table, grabs one of my hands. We can't hold hands, Trey, I remind him. Oh, he says. He withdraws his hand immediately. Right. Right. Wow. He leans back against the booth, looking like a forlorn middle schooler. Are you sure you're pregnant? He asks. Yes, I say. I'm very sure. Oh, he says. And then he says, oh, again. Silence. I, I thought this was going to be a good surprise, I say. I thought... I thought you'd be happy. You said you wanted this. And Trey is looking at me, but he's not seeing me. Mr. Winsome. One of his bodyguards stands by us now, a finger to the headset in his ear. We need to leave in ten minutes, sir. That seems to shake Trey out of his stupor. Right, he says, looking up at the bodyguard. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate your help. The bodyguard walks back to his own booth. Trey looks at me. And then he smiles, his politician smiled at me. 
This is wonderful news, Sylvie. He says it so smoothly. Really, really wonderful news you're telling me. I look at him uneasily. Is it? I ask. Yes, he answers. It is. Trey stands, and then he pulls me up beside him and embraces me. You can't hug me, remember? I say. Don't tell me what I can't do. He whispers into my hair, and he pulls me even closer to him. We are going to get through this, he says. We are definitely going to get through this. We are going to get through this? What does that even mean? But the man is standing here in public holding me. We both know how risky that is. Maybe I don't have to know what it means. Very, very slowly, I put my arms around him. I hold on to him tight. I hold on to him for dear life. Okay, I say. Okay. Mm, I don't know, Sylvie. I don't know. But in any event, thanks so much for listening to episode six. I would love to hear from you about what you're enjoying about episodes, predictions for characters, etc. So I've created an open Facebook group called Episodes Crew. Black fiction lovers, writers, and other cool last folk. And that's a long-ass title, I know. Um, But I will put the URL and title in the show notes so that you can head on over to Facebook and find it. I would love for you to join the group so that I have a little community because in this experience of putting the work out into the world, I have realized that that is what's missing for me right now. And that's the core of what I want is to write something and have it read by people and to then be in conversation with those people. That is what feeds me and fuels me because as much as I love my work, it is not easy to put this stuff out week after week with a full-time business and the child and life demands. So yeah, that would mean so much to me to get your feedback. That makes all the effort worth it for me. Again, I'll put the URL and title in the show notes. Also, I have an awesome Real Talk episode about what happens in this episode, episode six. That is out. It's with me and several of my friends. So it's a lot of fun. So please check it out on my YouTube channel. Just search Leslie Quigless on YouTube. So again, thank you. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell somebody about episodes. It all makes a difference. And I'll see you next week with episode seven, which will be Camille's episode. And it's going to be a good one. So peace out. Take it away, Arden. If you want more info from my mommy, please go to LeslieCookless.com. Deuces.